0: Listener Supported, WNYC Studios. Listener Supported, WNYC Studios.
1: Hey, I'm PJ Vogt. And I'm Alex Goldman.
2: Since we started this podcast, a surprising amount of people have been asking us what TLDR means.
1: Well, I guess it's not surprising per se. We never explained it. But we're here to explain it a little more fully.
2: Yeah, it should only take us half an hour.
1: TLDR stands for too long, didn't read. It's old timey internet slang. Old timey as in maybe 10 years old. The idea is that if you read an article that was incredibly boring or long or arcane, you could write TLDR at the bottom as sort of an insult. Or it didn't have to
2: be an insult. Like if somebody wrote a really long post, they might even say on their own thing, TLDR, and then they would have sort of a synopsis of the salient points.
1: I think that's what we were attempting to do with this podcast was make something that sort of touched on the salient points of what interests us on the internet. And I don't know. How are we doing, PJ? Oh we're doing great. We're doing so
2: great that this week after 2 months of making the podcast, we've decided to do a clip show.
1: Ugh, a clip show. What makes you think we've deserved a clip show?
2: We don't, but we wanted to make something where it's like here's a bunch of the ones that we are proud of and we like and if someone hasn't gotten a chance to check us out or if you're trying to convert one of your friends, uh this would be like a good sort of showcase for for one what we do. One, one
1: of us one of us creepy.
2: There's also a little bit of housekeeping. You want to do the housekeeping, Alex?
1: Yeah. After this episode, we're going to go bi-weekly, meaning every other week, not twice a week. Not forever, but we're trying to do some quality control. I'm still working on On the Media full-time, and PJ is working on the TLDR blog full-time. We're kind of churning this thing out in the margins when we have some free time, and doing this every other week as opposed to every week will give us more time to craft things we're very proud of.
2: And also... Thank you to everybody who's been listening so far. We sort of put this thing out hoping it would find an audience that we'd kind of imagined. And it's been really, really great and really rewarding hearing from people who like it. Not so much people who hate it. It's been really nice hearing from people who like it and who sort of get what we're trying to do here. So thank you.
1: Yeah, not so much from the guy who called it drivel or the guy who called it hipster twaddle.
2: Yeah, we don't need you guys. You guys should listen to other stuff. I don't know, like maybe just music. (laughs)
1: Hey, have you guys heard The Boys Are Back in Town? That song rules. You should just listen to that. Yeah, it rocks. So without further ado, here are four solid episodes of TLDR. Just gems.
3: My name is C.D. Hermelin, but you can call me Christopher, and uh, I am the typewriter guy. Or, no,
1: I hate that. Christopher Hermelin moved to New York last summer to attend the new school. With no job and not much to do, he started a project he calls The Roving Typist.
3: So, Roving Typist is my project where I take my typewriter, which is a royal safari analog typewriter, out to parks, usually the High Line in Chelsea, and I write stories for people. I don't set a price, and I don't uh, tell them anything about the story other than, like, You can either, you know, use my imagination or, you know, you can give me details and I'll work from that. You do have your typewriter case with you right now. Could you read the sign? Sure. The sign says, one of a kind, completely original, stories composed while you wait, sliding scale, donate what you can. And then my Twitter account.
1: If this sounds sort of hipsterish, sort of obnoxious and twee, Christopher totally acknowledges it's not for everyone. And that he's a hipster.
3: Oh, you know, I wear outsized plastic glasses. I wear skinny jeans. You know, these are things that are attributed to hipsters now. When a band gets described as like, oh, like hipsters would like this, I definitely check it out because I might.
1: Christopher did his roving typist project for a couple of months, and he says that the reactions he got were almost uniformly positive. Kids loved it. Couples loved it. He wasn't making any money, but it pushed him to write every day. And then one morning in August,
3: he woke up to his cell phone buzzing with activity. The texts were like, oh, my gosh, you're on the front page of Reddit. And that is really exciting. Like, I thought, oh, my gosh, like, someone posted a picture of me or someone posted their story online. And it got to the front page of Reddit and they, like, explained their story.
1: Reddit, of course, isn't just another website. It's massively popular. So reaching the front page means a ton of attention whether you want it or not. And there it was, a picture of Christopher and his typewriter with the sentence, spotted on the high line. The comments were not encouraging. I don't know, man. You know, I see an attention whore just looking for attention. As somebody who grew up using typewriters, it is not a good tool for typing anymore.
4: I don't know why anyone is defending this guy. It's clear he's doing it for
1: attention. Yeah, when I look at this guy, I see something like Kim Kardashian, except with worse fashion sense.
3: Hipster or not, it's f***ing dumb.
1: Sorry to judge, but, you know, it's obviously what's the problem here.
3: The picture didn't have my sign, which is taped to my typewriter case, which tells people what I'm doing. So all people saw was me holding the typewriter. The first thing that I did was just skim some of the comments and saw how mean and sort of nasty they were. And I just sort of stood up and looked away from my computer like, okay, like I don't need to read these, obviously, like I know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to be fine. Okay, I'm going to read them all. And so I sat back down, and my hands were shaking. I was definitely really, really charged. It was a very charged moment. The first couple comments were kind of jokes, and then under that, pretty quickly, it dissolved into just, he's a hipster, and I hate him. And different versions of that, either like violent, like, I wish I could smash that typewriter over his head, to, I hope that he leaves New York immediately, get out of my city, that sort of thing.
1: Panicked, Christopher decided to step in.
3: When I read through everything, I felt like, okay, well, maybe if I just explain what I was doing, like give people the context. I took a picture of my typewriter and my shoes that I was wearing and my, um, and my glasses to prove that it was me and just was like, okay, hey guys, this is me. I'm surprised how angry this threat is, but uh, let me tell you what I'm doing. Everything changed underneath it. Like, I had a long thing of, oh, (laughs) sort of like, oh, that's cool, actually. Like, I would buy a story from you if I saw you. But
1: the picture had taken on a life of its own. Someone added text to it, which read, you're not a real hipster until you've taken your typewriter to the park. And then it went everywhere. Tumblr, Pinterest, 9gag. His ex-girlfriend wrote an article called, It Happened to Me. I Got Dumped by a Meme.
3: What really sent me reeling was the comment section on my ex-girlfriend's piece, because I went in and wrote again, and very few people replied to me, and instead it was just like, this guy's the worst, you dodged a bullet, like, th- I would hate to date this guy.
1: A year later, Christopher has learned to disengage. He doesn't look for his picture anymore, and he definitely doesn't try to change people's minds about him. Still, he believes that the problem here is that the internet essentially misunderstood him. If only they'd seen a sign. If only he could have jumped into one more comment section and explained himself better. Meanwhile, the photo still
3: pops up from time to time. Someone on BuzzFeed posted 35 things that'll make you rage blackout. And number 17 was just like this effing guy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the picture of me. And the comments underneath were just like, again, just like number 17 is the worst. That guy's horrible.
1: Regardless of what you think of Christopher, Whether you think he's a twee hipster or a creative sweetheart, the internet isn't really capable of a measured response. Once you're on the front page of the internet, it doesn't matter whether you're getting scorn or praise, you'll almost certainly get more than
3: you deserve. For his part, Christopher's just tried to be kind of stoic about it. You can't control it. That's what I realized, is that I I wanted to control it really badly, but I couldn't. And uh, it was really hard to let go, and I still probably haven't. It's something that I'm trying to figure out is how I still feel about it because great things have come from it. I'm sitting in a booth with you talking about this project now just because of all these things that happened. So I think that the experience is mostly positive with cyberbullying thrown in. Christopher Hermelin can be found
1: at rovingtypist.com. He wrote about living in the maelstrom for the all.
2: Me and Alex really like this comedian named Pete Holmes, who has this riff about how the world's been robbed of wonder because we can find the answer to any question we have in the moment on our smartphones, no matter how enormous or how trivial.
4: Listen to me! There was a time, and I don't mean to get all Andy Rooney on ya, but there was a time that if you didn't know where Tom Petty was from, you just didn't know! And you felt that yearning and that deficit in your being and you'd go around and ask actual people.
2: So here's a tiny story about a question you wish you could ask Google, but can't. Daniel Drucker's father, David, died this spring. The memorial service was really casual.
4: He had always uh, made very clear to everyone that he didn't want to have the sort of normal American funeral type thing, didn't want people standing around a grave. The memorial service we had, I mean, it was all of his friends, and he had a lot of friends. Up at his house, just hanging around, playing guitars, telling stories about him. At some point, Daniel wanders off and starts going through his dad's computer. He and I uh, share a characteristic that we never throw out anything electronic. There was half a gigabyte of just text alone. Picture 30,000 pages printed out. So much text, it's almost impossible to even go through. All the articles he'd ever written for motoring magazines, for computer magazines... He followed pretty uh, religiously the Grateful Dead for a long time and had notes upon notes upon notes of who he was there with, what drugs he may or may not have done, <laughs> just an entire you know, life's worth of documents. Everything's there. I mean, everything
2: except him. But among a life's worth of columns and lists and old emails and spreadsheets, Daniel found this mystery file. It was sort of in like a top-level directory and it just called jokes.txt. Jokes.txt wasn't filled with jokes. It was something more cryptic and frustrating. Nonsensical sentence fragments. Ghost code. I'm going to have to numb those. They were punchlines. Jokes without setups. Nice tits, where do you want these blinds?
4: More ducks. I tried just Googling some of the things at first and was remarkably unsuccessful, I think, because something like more ducks is just so short and so vague as to be essentially,
2: you know, not searchable. Google couldn't solve this. So Daniel posted the list to a site called Ask Metafilter. It's a place where you can post the kinds of questions that the internet shouldn't be able to answer, and then people answer them. Recent popular questions. How can I get more snail mail sent to my five-year-old? What should I, a busty woman, wear with skirts? Who's the female equivalent of Tico Bra? So Daniel asked, and pretty much immediately the setup's poured in. Here's more ducks. You
4: ever look up at the sky and, uh, you know, you see one of those V formations of ducks? You know why it is that one of the sides of that V is longer? Why? There's more ducks on that
2: side. (laughs) All of these jokes were firmly in the dad humor genre. Priests, ministers, rabbis, Lorena Bobbitt, a lot of people walking into a lot of bars. In four hours, they had 30 of the 31 jokes solved. Their responses all start out with heartfelt condolences. I am so so sorry sorry for for your loss. loss. But then quickly pivot to stories about horny ghosts or dying Frenchmen. A woman walks into a
1: bar with a duck under her arm.
3: You've actually slept with a ghost? Oh, the guy says, ghost? I thought you said goat. So he sticks his face in between them, presses them against his head, and then moving his face tied to side, says, A num-num-num-num-num-num-num-num. <laughs> hey, don't blame me for this one. Blame your dad. Sounds like he was a fun guy. I'm sorry for your loss.
2: It's so funny, it's like what you described about your dad, that he didn't want to have like a, like a sad memoir. Like, this seems like the kind of thing he would have wanted to leave you. Yeah, definitely.
4: Can I tell you another of my favorites? Oh, please. It's the second resurrection of Christ. He wants to take in some fishing. So he gets his friend Moses, and they head up to Minnesota to fish. They're going to rent a canoe when Moses says, Hey, wait a minute, Jesus, can't you just walk on water? Why not just walk out there? So Jesus steps onto the lake and falls knee-deep in water. And Moses says, Well, uh, maybe you need a head start or something. Why not go to the end of the dock and try? So Jesus steps off the end of the dock and up to his waist, Moses says, Huh, this is interesting." Well, get into the state of mind you are in. So, Jesus psychs himself up, steps out, drowns in the lake again. Jesus is just really upset about this. He doesn't see what's going wrong. Moses stares at him and says, "Wait a minute! I got it! I know what's wrong." Did you have those holes in your feet last time? <laughs>
1: I have just returned from an epic quest. What were you questing after? I was questing after a unicorn of sorts. I wanted to find a person who doesn't use the internet. I read this Pew study... That said that 15% of American adults don't use the Internet. That's actually a ton of people. Yeah, it's actually millions of people, Huh? which is crazy. But then if you actually dig down into the numbers, it kind of makes sense. It's generally people who are over 65, who are low income, or come from sort of a rural area. However, I sort of wondered if there was someone like that in the city, who is maybe middle-aged or younger, who was middle class, and just kind of never plugged in.
2: Right. Somebody, somebody who didn't use the Internet, not because they couldn't, but because they just, like, didn't see the point.
1: Yeah. And uh, I found them. Really? Yeah.
2: How do, you, how do you find somebody who doesn't use the Internet?
1: What do you use? Embarrassingly, I use the Internet. I sent an email to the entire radio station, and mm. I got an email back pretty quick about a guy named Mike.
2: How were you picturing him?
1: I imagine him being kind of obnoxiously wealthy, living in a brownstone, wearing a tweed blazer, smoking a pipe, railing against how technology is corroding the society. Wait, you imagine him super rich? Yeah, I imagine him being so highfalutin that he couldn't be bothered with email.
2: Like he, he listens to everything on wax cylinders and like sends his friends golden telegrams?
1: Yeah, exactly.
5: Um, so what's he like? Hi, my name is Mike Halakiz. I own a restaurant in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Little diner.
1: He was a really nice... Fifty-something guy. He moved here from Montreal. He loves Led Zeppelin. He has a mural of the band painted on the back of his diner, and he just owns a business where he never had to use a computer.
5: Everything is cash for me. I have a cash business. Cash goes into the register. I pay cash everything.
1: Also, it doesn't hurt that he's about the nicest person in the world. People seem to really want to do him favors anytime he needs to use the internet. If
5: I needed internet, I would always find a friend that. Uh, ask him favors, and they do me anything I want. Find me a Raider jersey, find me a Montreal Canadian jersey, find me a ticket, even a date, anything, anything I want. People do it for me.
1: Also, there's this.
5: And in return, I do them other favors, like give them food. When I need something faxed, I go across the street to the fax place, and, of course, I give them a sandwich, they fax my stuff, everything is great.
1: So you founded a unicorn. Does he know about the things that he could be able to do and isn't doing? Actually, in spite of my assumptions that he would be proud not to use the Internet and find it to be a distasteful accoutrement of modern society, <laughs> he was really embarrassed that he doesn't use it. My six-year-old nephew, he knows more about the computer than, uh, than I.
5: He knows how to get in. He knows how to play his music. He knows how to play his cartoons. He knows how to play his games. I have no idea how to do that. I feel stupid. That's what it is. I, and I don't want to feel stupid anymore. So did you help him?
1: Well, I asked him to come down to the station and sit down in front of a computer with me so I could just sort of see what he was interested in and see if I could direct him toward all the wonderful things on the internet that he would like.
2: You're a salesperson for the idea of going online.
1: Yeah, I wanted to provide sort of an interactive infomercial for interactivity. <laughs> <laughs> so what do – I'm trying to think where I'd even – what do you show him? Well, the first thing I tried showing him since he's such a huge Zep fan was Pandora. It's like a program that allows you to pick an artist you like, and it'll try and find artists based on the one that you like, so you could conceivably just do this forever. It's like listening to the radio, kind of, except you get to tell it that you don't want to hear certain kinds of songs. So it's pretty great.
2: He sounds like he's being really polite. But he doesn't sound interested.
1: Well, you know, I mean, he's a big enough Zep fan that he painted a mural of them on the back of his diner. So I think that if he wants to listen to music, he'll probably listen to the Led Zeppelin discography, which I'm sure he already has in some kind of hard copy format. I don't think he needs Pandora to be recommending to him CCR or The Doors. He's heard of those bands. I'm pretty sure he's familiar with them. This sort of breakthrough moment wasn't from me at all. My colleague Chris Neary was in the studio recording with us, and they're both sort of diehard sports fans.
2: I was just thinking, how did you end up as a Raiders fan coming from Montreal? Yeah,
5: in, uh, in Montreal in the early 70s, they showed the three winning teams in the NFL. Uh, the Raiders, Cowboys. the Cowboys, and uh, the Steelers. Well, I had to be a, a man, <laughs> so I chose the Raiders.
2: <laughs> if you could see a play... Like, is there someone you would want to see
5: old video of? 1983, the Super Bowl. The Raiders crushed the Redskins. And I made a ton of money in college. I mean, a ton.
2: Okay, so let's see if we can't find some
5: highlights from it. Yeah. Oh, wow. This brings back so many memories. I could stay home and watch this all day. You know that? Oh, boy. Wow. Oh, he's gone. Oh, my God. Wow, he's gone. I remember like I'm watching this last night.
1: So at this point, you guys are still, he's like
5: sitting there watching you guys
1: use the computer. Yeah, I decided to offer him the driver's seat because he is starting to take sort of plaintive steps into internet literacy. Mm. And I wanted to give him an opportunity to sort of show me what he can do. You just move this oh you, just, you move the whole mouse. Oh, you, oh the, the whole mouse move. moves. Okay, cool. And
5: now I can click and pull down? Yeah click and then I, I scroll down right
1: Mm-hmm. it sounds like he's having kind of a hard time he is in fact he was actually holding the mouse at this point with both hands and i think that he was used to having a trackball and didn't understand that you actually had to move the whole object to get the cursor to move but the surprising thing was that he didn't really know how to search google if you go ahead and take this and move it up to right here okay and you can search any word you want. So you can type in plane tickets, Montreal. Wow. wow. And then you press enter, and it'll show you.
5: I'm so amazed I can't tell you right now.
1: So if you wanted to search for literally anything, how about John Bonham? hmm This is the Wikipedia entry. Do you know what Wikipedia is? hmm So Wikipedia is like the Encyclopedia Brit- Britannica, but it's on the Internet.
5: Things that you take for granted are so eye-opening for me right now.
1: I think in the end, he sees the Internet the same way I do, as sort of like an engine for discovery. And uh, I guess I'm a little jealous of him because I have it at my disposal whenever I want, and in a way, I've discovered a lot of the things that were amazing to me. Mm -hmm. He's going to get to see all of that stuff for the first time. So I guess I'm jealous of that lack of experience. You know, I'm excited to find whatever I'm looking for by myself. And,
5: you know, sometimes when you're looking for one thing, you find another. So I'm really excited. I'm going to look for music that I think I've heard it all, but there's always something that I've I've missed. Right now there's going to be no missing. I'll be on the computer all night if I have to be.
1: Alex, who are we calling? Calling my dad. I want to talk to him about Mnet. Hello? Father.
0: Son, how you doing?
1: I'm all right. Okay, so what's Mnet? Well, before the internet, as you probably know, it existed. With the visual interface, World Wide Web, there were mostly local bulletin boards, which people would dial up to. So in like 1991 or 1992, I started dialing up to this bulletin board in Ann Arbor called Mnet. Four people or so could be on it at the same time, and I would literally sit there with a modem in my computer for hours dialing the same number over and over again and getting a busy signal until I got through.
3: I just could never get on the telephone um, because you were always on the telephone. To the modem. And, um, you know, I'd yell at you to get off the phone so I could make a call or hopefully get a call come in and, you know, you'd tell me you'd be off in a few minutes and then I'd yell at, it at you again. So uh, it, was a, it was a very, one of the many annoying times in my life and in that relationship.
1: What did you imagine it was? Did you have any uh, any concept of
3: what it was at all? You know, I just assumed that since it was MNET, I it was students at the University of Michigan and, uh, that you were chatting with, you know, so I assumed it was intellectual or scientific <laughs>
1: What would I have been talking to university students about as, like, a 13-year-old?
3: You know,
0: I had no idea. (laughs) But it wasn't a time where you were concerned about the Internet. It was so new.
2: Okay, wait, Alex. I understand that your dad was pretty hands-off about your childhood. That explains a lot. I still don't think I understand what Mnet was.
1: Think of it as, like, a text-only version of the Internet you understand today. It had chat rooms, but instead of being called chat rooms, they were called party. Okay. It had forums, but instead of being called forums, they were called conferences. And it even had cybersex, but back then we called it hot chat. Hot chat? Well, (laughs) the internet hadn't really segregated into, like, websites about mechanics or websites about video games yet. It was more based on geography. The closer you were to a BBS meant that you didn't have to dial long distance to get into it. So pretty much everyone was there. There were people who were there to hook up, to hack, to chat. There were adults, and there were teenagers, there were college students, there were kids. And since most of the folks dialing were local, people pretty quickly moved from meeting online to, like, getting together in the real world.
0: Have I told you the story about, I'm sure you've heard it before, about when I realized who you were?
1: This is my friend Rex. We met probably 20 years ago on Mnet, and we're still in pretty regular contact. Uh, I don't know. Wasn't it at a concert? Wasn't it at the...
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I had went there with some high school friends, people that were not on Mnet at all. And, uh... (laughs) One of my friends says, look at that freak. He dances like crazy all the time. Look at him. He's so weird. And then I go home and I get on Mnet and somebody logs into Mnet and says, oh, damn, I left my black flag at it at the couch show. And I was like, holy shit, that was you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For both me and Rex, kids who might have had a little difficulty socializing with our peer groups, Mnet was like the perfect escape. I met bandmates on there, best friends, girlfriends. I spent my lunch in the computer lab every day just to get like 20 extra minutes using the terminal that connected me to Amnet. I basically lived there. Okay, but that's just the internet. Yeah, but it was the internet before the internet. It was like a modest, tiny internet that lived in my backyard. So when did it shut down? Well, it, it never did. Wait, it still exists? Yeah, it still exists. Are I- people on it? I mean, just a couple people, like 10 people or so who still participate in the forums, all of whom have been there for at least a decade, if not much longer. They've kind of just held out where everyone else has migrated to Facebook or something like that. I mean, I stopped using it years ago and Rex did, too.
2: So wait, so it's so it's 10 people connected to this weird defunct
1: Internet from Michigan. What do they talk about? What's it like? They mostly argue and talk about sports. It's kind of weird to go back. It's fallen into a strange state of disrepair. Commands don't work anymore. What was the most popular forum on the system, the general conference, is broken so you can't create new threads. Visiting MNET now is kind of like finding out that your high school burned down, but kids from your graduating class still hang out at the foundation every day. That's super sad. I was in the policy conference the other day to see who was still setting the rules around there, and I found a thread from September which read, Hey, Jepp. Assuming the conference login is valid, you and M. Sanders are the only board members to have used MNET in the last month. Polytarp and Ho 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 haven't logged in in an unknown amount of time. LastOn says they've never logged in. And Soup hasn't been here since February. You can take control if you just off M. Sanders. So, who runs this? Well, let me introduce him with a piece of tape.
0: I am Tony Kobuski, and uh, I am the sysadmin of, uh, of MNET.
1: Tony's been on MNET since 1993. MNET actually lives on a computer in his basement. 20 years ago, it cost thousands of dollars to keep Mnet up and running. Tony says now it basically runs itself for little more than the cost of electricity. One of the things I can't understand is – I mean I understand that it takes almost no effort to run now. But I just wonder what it is that makes you want it to continue to exist.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's more trouble than it's worth sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it is. It's a sense of nostalgia, I guess and it it takes me back to, I guess, really my childhood because I was only a teenager when I started using it, so um, I kind of grew up somewhat on Mnet, and it is kind of sad because most of the people who I talked with back then are long gone, Um, and it would be neat to be able to talk to some of those people again, but, you know, you have no idea how to contact them even. We just kind of keep it rolling as long as it'll roll, and at some point it'll probably just, people will lose interest or I'll fall off or the machine will die and I won't replace it or whatever.
2: Can't any conversation on Mnet, can't they just get on Facebook like everybody else?
1: I talked to this guy named Todd Plesko who's been on Mnet for 30 years. He started Did you using know him back then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was the first person I ever talked to when I logged in, actually. I joined Party and we talked about Black Flag. <sighs> but he's still active, and part of the reason he likes Mnet so much is because it's a non-profit, and he believes that it's one of the last truly uncensored, non-corporate spaces for communication on the web. Huh. But more than that, he says that Mnet serves a sort of vital purpose that I don't even really see and that there are people using it who aren't interacting on the forum component of the website at all.
0: Somebody from Iran on uh, a similar system from inside has figured out how to tunnel their way out and communicate. And, and it's strictly strictly just conversation. You know, some of it's comedic and some of it's political, but you can't get that through media You just can't get that. There are places all over the world, you know, where they will come to Mnet or other similar systems. And um, nobody's controlling that conversation.
1: Todd's right. There's no one controlling the conversations on Mnet. But that's because there's almost no conversations happening on Mnet at all. While I was working on this story, I went into Mnet's chat room and I found this conversation a user named Tin Man had with himself a few weeks before I'd gotten there. He said... Here alone on Mnet, just a shell of the past. Nobody hardly comes on here anymore. I remember back when the coffee shop was full every day. Todd remembers too.
0: It's a lot like Detroit, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's kind of a shell. It's definitely not what it used to be, but it's still there. Who knows? Maybe it'll pick up.
1: TLDR is produced by me, PJ Vogt. And me, Alex Goldman. Our executive producer is Kat Rogers. Our engineer is Andrew Dunn.
2: Our theme song is by the illustrious and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder.
1: Our show may be going bi-weekly for the time being, but PJ updates our blog every day at tldr.onthemedia.org. And we're on Twitter at TLDR. And we are TLDR. We are TLDR. Thanks for listening, dudes. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That's great.